0: Dig in arms side Dig in
1: Welcome one and all to Vision On Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. This week, Steve Hatcher returns to talk all about what is known as the Michael J. Bird Quartet, a series of separate dramas from the 70s and 80s which are all set around the more picturesque parts of the Mediterranean, made up of The Lotus Eaters, Who Pays the Ferryman, The Aphrodite Inheritance and The Dark Side of the Sun. We'll also be taking a broader look at the television career of this fascinating writer, and I certainly found out a lot, and I hope you will enjoy it too. So let's crank up those time engines and head off to sunnier yet strangely darker places.
0: Steve, welcome back. Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, it's, it's it's lovely to be back.
1: Well, you're you're after uh, such a long break. Well, this is it. But your forensic <laughs> insight, your forensic insight, goes down well with uh, some of our listeners. So I, th- I thought it was about time we got you back. With in. the so, strange ones. So today you've uh, suggested we talk about the work of uh, Michael J. Bird, the uh, hmm. television writer. Mm.
0: Well, yeah, some stories in particular, some series in particular that he did, but a little bit in general as well,
1: Michael mm. J. Bird.
0: Interesting career. Started off, well, born in 1928 and did all sorts of jobs while trying to break into writing. Constantly writing from a fairly young age, trying to get into TV and radio during the 50s, getting nowhere at all. And then we went into journalism, initially for the local paper in Cambridge, and then went to work for the Daily Mirror and the Daily Herald in London. And then one of these days, a fellow journo, who was also writing for TV A fellow called David Stone Found himself with two deadlines For two different scripts One for Danger Man and one for The Power Game Two of the biggest series of the time right. Fast approaching And he just hadn't got time to do both scripts mm-hmm. So he turned to his mate Michael Bird And said, look, do you fancy doing one of these for me? So Michael Bird wrote The Danger Man story it was accepted, and after it had been accepted, uh, Stone said, look, actually, I didn't write this. It was Michael J. Bird who wrote it, and a career was launched. Wow. From show. it's they, all about yeah. who you know, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it is, isn't it? And being in the right place at the right time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, the other chap didn't just think, okay, I'll send him both scripts. With the he, same was clearly a, <laughs> no, he was clearly a decent chap. So he
0: then went on to write for, well, there's a whole load of things he wrote mm. for. He wrote for Mr. Rose, which is a very brilliantly mm-hmm. well-remembered series with William Irvin. His big break, though, was for Journey to the Unknown, which oh, was right. the first Hammer TV series. It was partly made in the States, partly made in Britain. And it's not Out of the Unknown. That's mm. different. He did write for Out of the Unknown. Actually, he wrote two stories for the last series of Out of the Unknown, including the Thoroughly horrible to lay a ghost Which, if you remember that Is, is mm. the one where the girl is seeing a ghost Having been subjected to a horrific sexual assault When a mm. teenager And it's, there's a really nasty undercurrent to that episode mm. So, mm, careful of that one uh, He ended up writing three different episodes Well, wrote two and did the mm. teleplay for third Of Journey to the Unknown Most he, of those survive Yeah, yeah, I think the whole thing survives as well Actually, I think it's all on a certain well-known video site Beginning with a Y Hadley, Paul Temple, Brett, and then came The Biggie when he wrote the first of a, a sequence of four series or yeah. potentially five series right. that are called The Mediterranean Quartet, although that's an okay. entirely unofficial mm-hmm. thing, so called because the four series were set at various locations in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. There is How a did fifth series. About? Was recording? that just
1: everybody fancied a nice, jolly, and filming abroad, or was it more, less cynical? Than-
0: Oh, it, it, well, it probably was less cynical than that. It, it wasn't originally supposed to be. It was set in Crete, hmm. and it wasn't originally supposed to. It was originally supposed to be in Ibiza, <laughs> okay. not the Isle so, of Wight. no, not the Isle of Wight. Well, let's, let's say what we're talking about. We're talking mm-hmm. about the Lotus Eaters, mm-hmm. which was the first series created by Michael J. Bird. Right. He and his wife had been on holiday apparently, and had got talking to some people who were expats. Yeah. And he liked the idea of uh, a series built around expats, what, mm. what, what the life of the expat was, how they came to be yeah. there, what their dark and hidden secrets were, and, <laughs> and so on. Yeah, yeah. How you end up, where you end up. Exactly, yeah. And so the first series The Lotus Theatre showed in 1972, mm. and that first series, which was nine episodes, mm. is basically nine standalone stories right. with a sort of arc story going on in the background. Oh, okay. He was going to set it on uh, Ibiza, but the time of year when they were filming, the climate's not quite right in Ibiza. Okay. So he had a scout round <laughs> where it would be nice to, to set it. <laughs> uh, they settled on Crete and they found the ideal location in a town called Ayos Nikolaos You have images, the,
1: don't you, of him sitting in his office or wherever and sort of thinking... The BBC are never going to film this in Crete they're going to make it the Isle of Wight but I'll set it in Crete for my script and see what happens no one's going to give me the budget no one's going to give me the budget. You <laughs>
0: could actually do it quite cheaply in Crete in those days because yeah. Greece was
1: was mm. pretty cheap. So what drew him to Crete do you think apart well, from think, the fact it wasn't Ibiza?
0: Well yeah the climate and also he mm. found the perfect village this mm. Ayos Nikolaos mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the exact setting for what he wanted oh, uh, sense. Sense. apparently drove into Ios Nikolaos he and his wife and they looked across the waterfront towards hmm. this building which was going to be the bar in the series and he said it was absolutely exactly as he pictured it mm-hmm. so it was all found so the thing is set in a bar now the bar is owned by eric and ann shepherd okay. who are themselves an expat corporal and the stories of the nine episodes revolve around their regular customers okay. uh, the, the group of regular customers for the most part are in the other episodes as well having small parts in the other episodes right. and then each gets their turn to be center stage now they've all got secrets or they've all got dark sides to their characters or whatever right. the most memorable of, of well let's let's talk
1: about eric and Anne first of all mm. it's certainly of that's what makes it dramatic isn't it you know if they don't have dark secrets it would quite be quite a dull series i suppose you know? yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Eric and Anne are Ian Hendry and Wanda Ventham. Mm -hmm. So already you've stamped this with class, class, class. Oh, but absolutely, yes. Two of the best television actors of the 70s and very, very familiar faces mm-hmm. from all sorts of series. Uh, Wanda Ventham, less so. That's, I just suppose, it's a fairly early stage in her mm-hmm. career. But UFO was around the same time, wasn't it? A couple of years but, earlier. But yeah, yeah, a couple of years earlier. So so she was known from that. So Eric and Anne, well, now then. So they run the bar. Mm-hmm. What we discover in the first episode, a stranger turns up from England and, and Anne starts having flashbacks. Now it's an unhappy marriage at this stage, is the shepherd's. And Anne is certainly tempted by this stranger but there is a much darker side to it than that because she keeps having flashbacks of her programming and when she is first introduced to Eric and it turns out she is a sleeper agent for British intelligence mm-hmm. and she's had the memory of that taken away from her. As part of her cover, she's been introduced to this broken-up, drunk Eric Shepherd, who's there in a, in a corner of a cell. Who uh, used to be an been, Avenger. <laughs> can we like we to say the original Avengers these days. <laughs> The proper first class of the Avengers. But, but anyway, he's a broken up drunk and in a in a little corner of a room, weeping to himself with how miserable his life is. Mm-hmm. And uh, Anne Shepard, although that's not her name at this stage, uh, mm-hmm. she's a, she has another name I can't remember. Mm-hmm. She's told, you are no longer your real name. You are right. now going to be Anne. Okay. Check name. You are now Czech. And uh, you are going to marry this man. He's going to be part of your cover. Thank so you. the whole thing that's is... That's commitment, um, isn't it, to you? Well, to you. Eric knows nothing about this. Yeah. And Anne has known nothing about it until this time, but now okay. it started to emerge in her mind. So that's the backstory that goes on through the first series Fair of enough. Lotus Eaters. Right, so amongst the regulars in the bar, mm-hmm. uh, we have got Maurice Denham, the brilliant ah. Morris Denham, who plays an elderly... British artist who's run away from wife and family and all the rest of it. Was, t- t- was t- t- Maurice okay.
1: Denham always an elderly British yeah,
0: actor? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when, but,
1: Even when he was about thirty, he
0: was <laughs> I mean, right, certainly okay. in British films pre-war yes. and was always elderly. The other, well, now then, Thorley Walters as Thorley. Uh, Thorley Walters as Major yeah. Woolley and his wife, Mrs. Woolley, played by Sylvia Coleridge. I uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And another hugely unhappy couple. And mm. when it comes round to there, I mean, he's a, obviously a major, he's, he's a very stereotypical expat character. Yeah. And she's his simpering wife, who's always put upon and the rest of it. And now when it comes, to, I think it's, it's the fourth episode, which is their story. Yeah. And they've been ever present in the first three stories. Yes. Their episode is by far the strongest, I think, of that okay. first series. It's certainly the most powerful, where she becomes convinced that their house and garden is overrun with tarantulas. Oh, which- crikey. Don't exist on Crete, by the way. She's going mm. slightly mad in the words of Freddie Mercury.
1: And it, <laughs> it's not its not a Barty's party situation.
0: Then. No, well, no, it isn't. It, that she is imagining it, but it does end up horrifically, tragically, mm. with her being carted off in an ambulance and, shall we say, Him not being there to be to see her being carted Uh, off. Look, 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 look! It's 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 tremendous as well as horrific. Mm -hmm. Good piece of drama, proper drama. Oh, not half. I'll mention some of the other guest actors without going into the the things. Oh, Timothy Carlton. Okay. That's that's Benedict Cumberbatch's other parent.
1: Ah, Uh, is this where they met?
0: uh, No, they were already together by then. I think they made a family holiday of it. Uh, Okay. Uh, (laughs) As you do, (laughs) and why not? Somebody else is paying. Paul Maxwell, well known to viewers mm. as uh, as Elsie uh, Tanner's horrible husband in uh, Coronation Street, right. and the voice of Steve Zodiac in Fireball XL5. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Susan Engel from the Stones of Blood I'm sorry oh, yeah. I'm Doctor Who referencing already aren't
1: no, I? No, no, <laughs> <It, laughs> Charlton help, It helps people actually to work out who's yeah. who sometimes it's weird that those references are the ones that actually help when people go no oh, I can't think who that is I can't think of that. oh it's, yep. it's the same with the like you say the Paul Maxwell thing you know yep, yep. oh yeah yep. a bit of super yep. marionation now I know who you're talking about That's it. Alethea Charlton who was her in the first
0: ever Doctor ah, Who story yes. and then was in the Time Meddler as well so mm-hmm. that's her, as it were, Anoushka Hempel from Zodiac, and also a, a, a panelist
1: on <laughs> yes, Who Done on It? Yes. Who done
0: it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't actually tend to think of Anoushka Hempel actually doing an acting role. Oh, yeah, she, she did Hammer films and things like that. Yeah. I, don't know, I, I, I think. I think just, uh, a, you know, I I kind yeah, of no, no, no. I think of her more as a personality than an actor. It's very no, weird. she was
0: a she was a seventies horror girl. And uh, Carol Cleveland from ah, Monty Python. Yes. Is also there. Well, now then, the other character I've not mentioned is the third regular throughout, who actually mm. appears in three of these four series. Okay. Who is the local policeman, Captain Krasakis, played by an actor called Stefan Grief. Ah. Not to be confused no. with... Stephen Grief. Stephen Grief. Oh, Who, who <laughs> was Travis in in Blake 7. Not right. to be confused with him. This is a a, a Polish-Australian actor. Okay who absolutely steals the show he's mm-hmm. superb as this friendly chief of police he's a big friend of the shepherds mm-hmm. his trademark moustache and sunglasses and the rest of it and he is well, he's kind a of de rigueur uh, for
1: foreign job, police chiefs job, job, in job. the early 70s you know.
0: but he's he's a definite good guy which brings me to a little bit of a problem because okay this is 1972 in Greece. Mm -hmm. I refer you to our previous discussion on political dystopias. Mm -hmm. What was happening in Greece (laughs) from 1967 (laughs) to 1974? We've got the horrific regime of the colonel's military dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Very, very nasty regime. That doesn't get mentioned really at all. Michael Jainberg made no secret of the fact that I'm not a writer who has messages for my audience I aim to entertain. It's it's escapist. It takes them out of their their lives. And Mm -hmm. This is absolutely what's going on here, apart from the horrible murder episode, the horrible mental torture episode, mm. which I haven't mentioned, but uh, involves Carol Cleveland mm. as a perpetrator and the, the British intelligence line that's running through. it's. Mm. This series is about relationships and characters. It's about... Beautiful blue skies. skies. Yeah, yeah. And and scenery. Scenery, yeah. Scenery and beautiful yeah. blue skies, absolutely. They don't want to and that, dig into the politics of what was going on at the time, kind of. No, not, no, they're... no, no. And by the end of the first series, the background story, the uh, Anne's British intelligence connections, has mm. pretty much come to the fore. Well, they very much come to the fore. Mm. And there's a bad murder. Mm. And the shepherds, assi- assisted by Captain Kosakis, mm. have to basically flee and lie low for a right. while, okay. which is how the first series ends. And mm. I, I think it was pretty much intended that that would possibly be it. That, if mm. there wasn't a second series, that was mm. it. Now, this first series, we've been talking about Michael J. Bird. The, this first series wasn't by any means all written by Michael J. Bird. No. Bird wrote the first four stories. And mm. then we've got a story by a writer called Jack Ronda, David Fisher, Also, Stones of Blood and one or two other Dot Who stories. David Weir, uh, again, one of the prime TV writers of Mm -hmm. the time. Uh, Two episodes by him. And then Michael J. Bird came back for the last episode. So now there's one or two other names that are worth mentioning in the context of this series. Well, I say one or two. One in particular, one of the directors is a certain Mr. Douglas Canfield. Ah, well known. To the oh yes. well-known, uh,
1: well-known drama uh, director, of course, in, uh, in all sorts of areas. Yeah, is, is the drama. army involved in that episode? <laughs> Do you know? No, uh,
0: oh, there right. isn't. Mm. No, sadly not.
1: Doesn't no. go to a barracks anywhere. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, no. That would that would be good, wouldn't it? But but no.
1: Well, the thing is, it's horses for courses, isn't it, with a lot of directors? You know, you get the person who's going to give you the best results, and sometimes, so they think, oh, he's good at that sort of thing. But very, very gritty uh, drama director in many ways. um, He actually
0: directed two. He directed two Uh, of them,
1: episodes two and
0: three. Okay. Uh, other episodes directed by Cyril Coke and another name that would become very important for Michael J. Bird, mm-hmm. David Conliffe Right. No, David Conliffe in later years would go on to be head of drama. Sorry, Camfield directed three episodes. Right. I missed one. Uh, David Conliffe would go on to be head of drama at Yorkshire Television. Ah. Uh, and later on in the uh, on late 80s and 90s, yeah, they would. Uh, he and Michael Bird became friends, mm-hmm. and that uh, that provided many opportunities for him later on. So that was serious one Mm-hmm. it did come back for series two
1: and uh, was that was it just because it was so massively popular or... it was
0: it was very popular it mm. was I mean the other aspect that we should have mentioned as well as the scenery and the blue sky and the sea and all that mm. was the music ah. um, because the music very much for all of these series uh, was, was a feature yeah yeah it was uh... it wasn't
1: very much a thing going on wasn't the Mediterranean holidays and that cheap flights and everything like that so I, I suppose it was actually a lot of kind of nostalgia absolutely you know that, absolutely. and that music sort of Brings that all back for people.
0: Yeah, lots of bassoon music, uh, <laughs> bloody bouzouki, uh, uh No, it is. It's lots of. This is dancing. Yeah. Zorb dancing. Yeah, <laughs> there's a fair bit of that as well. Absolutely outside the bar. Is um, it? A, is
1: it an adult Is the? Is, is it quite raunchy in its way or not? particularly did to it, be did, fair did it was it sold on the promise that it might be <laughs> i don't honestly think so no That's... i've noticed with a lot of new netflix stuff they seem to put a lot of gratuitous nudity in episode one just to make sure that people will watch it. well so... the gratuitous nudity in this is in
0: episode seven out of right. nine
1: oh, okay.
0: uh, where you've got a young couple where, uh, where they've, they've forgotten to put their vests on
1: Ah, as they do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, fair uh, enough. I just, well, I know that sometimes it's kind of, it does tend to help the ratings a bit if people think they're uh, going to get a flash well, of few every so often. Well, well w-
0: whether it needed a late boost, I, I don't mm. know. I, I honestly don't think so. I mean, they're supposed to be a young hippie couple. Mm, yeah. They're having a swim on an isolated Greek beach. Well, you know, why wouldn't you? You know, they're not going to catch the death of cold, are they? No, sun, sea and uh, sand and all that. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That kind of, all, when was it actually broadcast? Was it in the winter? The first episode was broadcast on the 23rd of April, 1972, and for the next few weeks. So Maybe the, the Greek Tourist Board sort of had a. Had a <laughs> uh, well, th- that was certainly the case with later series. Certainly mm. the case. Yeah, it finished in uh, June 72. Okay. So, yeah. Just in time for the school holidays. That's not bad, is it, really? Yeah, yeah that's right. all right. Yeah, off you go. People to are Greece. booking a
1: couple of weeks in the sun. Don't,
0: yeah. don't mind the kernels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do we actually. I, I know this is weird, but do you think a lot of it would have been political in the sense of not wanting to upset? upset. Would they be I still allowed to film, or would that have been an issue? Issue, do you think? I think they wouldn't have been
0: allowed to return for a second series if they'd, yep. they'd upset the authorities for the first series So, so, so they're painting a glorious picture of, of lovely Greece at that well, time they're just, yeah. they're just ignoring the, the political background mm. altogether and mm. I mean the, like I said there is this British intelligence thing and that does bring mm. in Greek intelligence mm. who were working with British intelligence blah blah mm. blah. Old friend of mine Ian Fairbairn who played Gregory in the Doctor Who story The Invasion and mm. loads of other Doctor Who stories. He has a small role in one mm. story as well so it's always lovely to see him in anything that's a personal thing so series 2 series 2 series 2 comes back and the shepherds mm-hmm. return to their bar and everything's right. calmed down and he's the back bad to murder. the bad murder has been pinned on someone else who wasn't there who was dead anyway so <laughs> it's fine
1: there's one lovely plot contrivances sometimes to resolve these things right, it? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, was, yeah. it
0: was all there at the end of the first series that mm. that's how it could be done no. uh, if, if they came back now the how do we get series, out of this <laughs> yeah it was all there mm-hmm. and the important thing of course is to return to the setup. except mm. the second series is It's a little different. You've only got six episodes for a start. Mm. And this very much this time is focusing on Eric and Anne. Right. The disintegration of their marriage, Mm. the intelligence plot. Eric had found out about it at the end of the first series. So he's... Coming to terms with that. They're working out their differences. He's got a developing friendship with a, a British archaeologist working on the island who it okay. turns out is rather more than she seems. This is actually Susan Engel. Oh, okay. So rather more than she seems. And by the end of that second series, we find out that Crete is absolutely overrun, not only with British intelligence, but with, <laughs> with, with Russian spies wow. and Chinese spies. Spy upon spies. spy upon spy. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so so basically
1: everybody you met on holiday, if you went to Greece in those days, was probably a spy, or at least every other person.
0: My first thought about it was what? Why were they sending sleeper agents Mm. to Sleepy Crete? Mm. But then when you think about it, this actually was quite an important arena for the Cold Mm. War, because you'd had this military coup in Greece Mm. basically because there was a good chance of a left-wing government. Oh, we're back to our same themes again. There was a good chance of a left-wing government being elected, so somebody somewhere had brought about a military coup. You'd got a situation in Spain where the Franco dictatorship Mm. was reaching its inevitable conclusion, and what would have come after Franco. Mm. In Italy, you'd got the Italian Communist Party was the, the second mm. biggest party for mm. since from the 40s through to the early 90s mm. and had been kept out of power mm by coalitions between the christian democrats and Mm. various other non-entity smaller parties just to keep the communists out of power so you'd had an election in italy and i can't remember but early 70s where the communists had had massive successes in that as well Mm -hmm. so hooray yeah so so the americans were interested in making sure that various stability
1: was kept in the region (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's one way to put it. But they, yeah. well, that's from their yeah. point of view, the old colonialism again. Isn't it, it is. And mm. going right back to things like the Crimean War, of mm. course, that the, the Soviets' access to warm water, their only warm mm. water ports, mm. were in the Far East by Japan mm. and on the Black Sea. Mm. So the Soviet Navy basically came out through Turkey into mm. the Mediterranean mm. to get out into the world. Mm. So the Mediterranean was a, a live hot arena spot. for the Cold War. In, in yeah. liter- literally
1: yeah. a hot spot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating it's, as well though because, I mean, you've got Malta there as well, haven't you? In the, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. Sardinia.
0: And... It was still a British colony at the time, Malta, and then you've got British bases on Cyprus And too. Gibraltar, of course. So there's, there's all that going on as well. Egypt yeah. had the mm. Suez Crisis in '56, yeah. which yeah. had been a bit of a lesson for the British obviously but even the americans had paid attention to it even though they hadn't helped out and of course and, the whole um,
1: fuel crisis in the middle east was at that sort of time well, as well well the it? the
0: arab israeli conflict yes mm. that, 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 that six-day the six-day war and
1: all that yeah.
0: yeah and and the soviet union were giving fraternal support to mm. the palestinians and to countries in a, a mm. war with there was there was a client mm. situation wasn't it? the americans were backing the israelis the soviet union were backing. and in the
1: middle of all this all so, these sorry, film crews turn up <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating because I mean, even I mean, even uh, ITC were making things like a sketch Athena and what have you, weren't they, yeah, on, on the yeah. Greek islands in them yeah. their days as well. You
0: know. But it's interesting, Chris. The subsequent series. So we're going to talk about four series, or mm. five series. The mm. subsequent series didn't go anywhere near this at all. The political thing was forgotten.
1: Mm. Okay. That's, so, uh, who pays the ferryman then? Is, we well, move on it, to?
0: it is uh, mm. in the in the meantime, because mm. there's quite a big gap between mm. those five years. And ferryman. It? Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. During which time, Michael J. Bird was contributing to Arthur of the Britons, mm. a special branch Quilla with on. Mike Jaston, the expert it's warship. And then he comes back... He goes back Just to as think. a writer for
1: hire on all those shows, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm. Who pays the ferryman? Now, what we've got here is, again, another conversation in a bar with Michael J. Bird, where he gets talking to this guy in a bar in Crete, who's saying, yeah, mm. I've not been back here since the war when I fought mm. with the resistance. Ah, which, click, whirr, grind, which, bing. Rrrr, there's an idea. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Which was the thing that obviously Greece was occupied during the war, mm. there was all sorts of resistance uh, armies operating mm. in various parts of Greece and on the islands and so on. And British military personnel were sent to work with them and to help mm. them, liaise with them and so on. So our hero in this one is a guy called Jack Haldane. And 30 years after the war, mm-hmm. he returns to Crete. Alan Haldane. Oh. Alan Haldane, sorry. Jack Headley. Jack Headley, yes. It was Jack Haldane, <laughs> yeah. Jack Headley. They've got similar like, surnames, thank you. It's easy yeah. to get them. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no. Thank you for that. Alan Haldane, yes, played by Jack Headley, who has to be after 30 years. Who we know from Colditz um, mostly. Colditz. He, he was the British senior officer in Colditz <laughs> and uh, a good stiff upper lip British <laughs> acting type, who is still alive. He's in his 90s now and he's still around. So, Jack Headley, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure he is. But no, Alan Alan, Alan Haldane is a legend in Crete mm-hmm. because he is known as Leandros, the lion. and He fought with the resistance and wow,
1: he was a top man. Hints of the zoo gang there.
0: <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yes. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Which is kind uh, of interesting, I suppose, that sort of 30 years on from the Second World War thing was quite yeah. a theme, because you've got all these people who were young people in the war yeah, yeah, knocking on a bit now, and, and I know, looking back at glory days and stuff, but it's definitely, there are quite a few dramas and things that sort of take that as their starting point. Yeah, interesting, because yeah, it goes yeah. in a
0: completely different direction. It does, it absolutely does. Now, while he was there in the war, he'd mm. had a relationship okay. with this girl called Melina, who was a member of the Metakis family, who were powerful local family and he didn't know it but before he was called back to Britain mm. he had left her with a little present
1: ah
0: uh. yes uh she was pregnant now he'd oh, written right. to her
1: yeah 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 yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry that wasn't there yeah, well not necessarily <laughs> didn't need to spell that out did I? dose of
1: something you know you never know <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Different gift. Completely different. Different, different, gift. Sort, of, different yeah. sort of gift. Yes. So, He'd written to her, but he'd never yes. had any replies. Right. And he'd thought, oh, well, never mind. Then that's the way it goes. He'd had a business. He'd married mm. someone else, a boat building business. Ooh, how, how it nice. Yep. We sadly don't see that, but there we go. He's now sold that. His wife has died. He's a widower. And he wants to return to Crete and reconnect with his past and see what's going on. Now, he meets two people. He meets a woman called Anika, who is that rare thing in Crete in the early 70s, a divorcee, for which she gets a fair bit of shunning. But, you know, Mm -hmm. she is a member. He doesn't know yet. We find out later she is a member of the Metakis family. So she a spy? (laughs) She, there are no spies in this one no spies we're spy, well, spy well, free okay we find out later that she is actually the sister of the girl who he had the relationship during the war. Okay. Now, she's dead. Melina is dead. Right. But he does find out that Melina has herself had a daughter mm-hmm. who is now grown up and running a bar and has got a child okay. herself. So all his family are there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't let on to any of them who he is and yeah. the relationship and all that because he thinks, no, that's too much for them okay. to cope with at the moment. He also meets his old mate, his Greek brother-in-arms from the war, okay. Babis Spiridakis, who rather wonderfully is played by Neil McCarthy. Ah. Out of out of Catweasel and so many other things, and uh, the power of crawl. Yes. I um, saw
1: him in a Dial Nine 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 as one of the motorbike robbers. The other yes, night. that's right,
0: that's right. A great actor, often played sort of heavies and simpletons mm. and, but apparently he was an incredibly well read and uh, erudite mm. man. His Greek accent is is a wonder to behold but no, he carries it off to
1: be mm. fair. I'm starting to think the entire world is connected to Where Eagles Dare at some point as well. But we'll, we'll was we'll... he in that as
0: well? Oh yeah.
1: Briefly. Oh fantastic.
0: Well now Alan finds out that not only is Melina dead mm. and about the child and all that sort of thing mm. and finds out about where the daughter and the grandson are and all the rest of it mm. and he also finds out uh, Anika is, is the sister and so on. Okay. Mm. So now, here comes the problem because Anika's and, and Melina's mother mm-hmm. is Katerina, mm-hmm. who is the old lady in black, like they always have in Greek things. Ah. And she is the matriarch of the Metakis family. And she's a thoroughly nasty piece of work. Mm. Now, it turns out that she was hiding and throwing away mm. his letters to her and mm. her letters to him. Oh, so. Okay. She pretty much engineered this situation. But she blames him for having abandoned her with the child and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it and bringing shame on the family. Blah, 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 blah. It's
1: a touch of the Livias from I Claudius, do you think? Oh, just a touch.
0: Just a touch. Okay. Oh, by the way, Katerina Matakis, uh-huh. played by an actress called Patience Collier.
1: Okay.
0: We've got a lot of this. We've got a lot of British actors playing uh, Greeks in oh this. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, okay, it was, the, it was the way it was, wasn't it? And it's actually
1: surprising, isn't it? I mean, I know people get upset about various, shall we say, portrayals of people by people from other backgrounds. But yeah. It went on a lot more with a lot of other cultures, an awful lot of people oh, yeah. talking with cod Italian accents in things and French as well, you know. So it, it's not as unusual. It's just possibly more boring blatant but it is it's not unusual in, well, in certain you, dramas of the time
0: until you've seen warren mitchell playing italian in the saint yes then don't comment <laughs> <laughs> No, absolutely. but at least they're not blacking up in this no this is uh,
1: true.
0: which is which is something at least uh, but anyway so Caterina uh, declares vendetta against ah. him and uh, in comes her son she recalls her son from wherever he's been living played by one of my favorite actors from the 60s and 70s who's mm-hmm. in everything steve plaitis who was absolutely everything, has the advantage of having a Greek name, Steve Plytus, you look him mm-hmm. up, you'll find his picture, you, you'll, okay. you'll know him, you'll know exactly who I mean. Mm-hmm. So anyway he turns up and says, well actually no, why should we kill him? We don't really need to do that, do we? Mm-hmm. But she says, yeah, go on, get on with it, Didn't kill him. Uh, but the whole family are basically organised to gangle and kill Alan. So is and this one
1: of those series where just things just keep getting worse and worse and worse yes, and worse, worse and, and worse. worse until
0: the inevitable happens? It, the, the inevitable is about halfway through and right. there is mm-hmm. a horrible, horrible attempt well there's an attempt on his life which but has unforeseen and horrible consequences. consequences which pushes him over the edge and it then turns and so he vendettas back he does a bit with right. the help of the police he then basically that's Stefan
1: again Oh, no. Well,
0: yes, it is. It <laughs> okay. is. Now, Michael Bird's Part of the idea, company. very much so, mm. Michael Bird's idea was that it should be the same character ah, from to okay. Eaters. Mm. Yeah, but that was Nick. He was told, no, you can't do that. So what he did, in fact, he just called him the Major. And Amazing. didn't give him a name, and and when he did the novelization of this later, because all these mm. series were novelised, he returned it to being Klasakis from Lotus Eaters. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's so definitely are the same character. Connected. Yeah, he shaved his moustache off.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, five years away will do that his to sunglasses. a person. Yep. Yeah, no yeah.
0: longer we'll wears sunglasses. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep. But there's no real doubt it's the same character.
1: Mm-hmm. So this great. is um, eight parts. Eight parts. That's right. And this is one uh, season, but or one series. But again, award-winning, popular. Well, this was the really big hit. Right. This
0: was the one where it really took off. It was popular uh, in many countries. The theme tune was a top 10 hit Mm -hmm. in 1977 when this was shown. So, yeah, this put Michael Bird basically in the top rank of TV writers Mm -hmm. of his time, whereas The Lotus Eaters had been a moderate success. This was, well... Is that bang oh. no I think it's quite surprising because I think the theme tune for this is a bit unmemorable to be fair particularly <laughs> compared to the Lotus Eaters but mm. what do I know oh I haven't mentioned some of the other guest actors who turn mm-hmm. I won't go into details of what they no. play because, but there's some very interesting names so I mentioned Steve Plight Patrick McGee mm-hmm. oh, who wow. was in everything and not to be confused with Patrick McNee or Patrick McGowan or, <laughs> or Postman Pat or, or oh. any of those no no what Patrick, careers
1: they could have had if only people could read properly. <laughs>
0: absolutely <laughs> or mr magoo yeah. not him either, not to be confused oh, you've also got jack watson
1: right. uh, who
0: i hope michael j bird met on arthur of the britons and thought mm. you'd be good in this i don't know if that's true uh, and then three names that will set all the bells ringing ding 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 from blake seven i give you sally nivette ah and from blake seven from star trek the next generation i give you Come on, it's great. Marina. Marina Curtis absolutely. And then an actress um, who at this stage hadn't had her big break, but was mm. going to do so in the next few years, that would be Lala Ward. Lala turns Ward, up in one episode. Yeah. Some Maria, Marina Curtis
1: particularly always surprises me. I mean, she turns up in a, a, a Sherlock Holmes, she, in Adventures yes. of Sherlock Holmes. And you yes. kind of forget really, because off she goes to Hollywood. And you just think, the number of actors, even in things like The Saint, who you sort of see the early part of their career and it's bit parts in The Saint and all this kind of And suddenly everything's a Hollywood credit. And you think,
0: Donald Sutherland, for heaven's sake. Donald (laughs) Sutherland, (laughs) Lots of relocating uh... going on. Where the work is, I guess. Yeah. Another yep. name to mention is the production assistant on this show. Okay. Who actually ended up directing most of the location shooting for various reasons mm-hmm. was Andrew Morgan, who Ooh, later cool. went on yes. to direct the Doctor Who stories, Time and the Rani, well, mm. we'll forgive him that one, and Remembrance of the Daleks. Mm. So there we are. What
1: was that series he did? Knights of God?
0: Oh, yeah. Gareth Thomas is in an episode as well.
1: Hmm. no really
0: i didn't write down yes gareth thomas no, the, up.
1: again it's it, this idea we sometimes have of the 60s and 70s this repertory company that they really do sort of pop into all these different shows apart mm. from stephen griff obviously yeah who it isn't that one maybe they thought they were getting the other one they
0: thought they were getting stephen greif no i, I don't think so no. no he could have played the part as well couldn't he mm. stephen Grif could have played these two the, the part of krasakis mm. this show is phenomenally popular Hmm. apparently in the Netherlands as, as are all of these series it's cold up there if you get hold of a DVD mm. of Who Pays the Ferryman, mm. y- you'll be lucky, to be fair, mm. uh, because it was only very briefly available in mm. this country. Mm. You, the chances are you'll probably get the Dutch version, Wie uh, okay. betal de Fährman, which you can actually play the English soundtrack on it, so it's the one to buy if ever you're looking mm-hmm. at it. Yeah, so that was Ferryman. Very much a straight thriller series. I yes, think. Very that's much what I'm saying. Based, it's, it's not yeah. very
1: mystical, is it? Because I get not the impression the that... The later series go more into the mysticism of... That's it. East it it hasn't got the espionage stuff
0: of Lotus Eaters, mm-hmm. and it hasn't got the mysticism later. You're absolutely right. This is
1: basically Greek tragedy, played large, very popular. Yes. Yeah. So... So a couple of years later, we get the Aphrodite inheritance. We do in 1979, right. Another eight-part serial,
0: yes. Another eight-parter. Now well, this Not connected one, at all, were it. No, in fact, we've got a change of location. Right. We've left Crete and we're now on Cyprus for these eight episodes. Any
1: reason for that particular...?
0: It fits in with the story, to be fair. Right. The, the okay. story they tell, there's a particular reason for it being Cyprus with the, the goddess Aphrodite yeah. and various things, who in legend was supposed to be born. Right. Uh, so it's a historical uh, reason. It's
1: not just. It's not just, yeah. it's not, yeah. pru, it's not sort of prudence
0: to be so filming she, there rather than somewhere. She else. came ashore. Now, the, the last two series, there is very definite reasons why they are tied to the down. The goddess Aphrodite. This is a tongue twister. Came ashore in a she-shell. As uh, you do. Ashore in a she-shell, as Sean Connery might say, Mm -hmm. on a beach which is known as Aphrodite's Beach near Paphos in in, in Cyprus. So there we are. Right, now... Now, is this...
1: uh, Am I I getting my islands mixed up? Is Cyprus the one that was split in half?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yep, it was. uh, In 1974, there was a coup in Mm. Cyprus, in the Republic of Cyprus, a short-lived coup Mm. aimed at uniting... Cyprus with Greece. There's always been this unity movement amongst the Greek Cypriots to unite with Greece. Yeah, <gasps> Eurovision
1: voting would say it's there. Yes,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, the Greek Cypriots are very Greek. The colonel's regime in Greece had ended. Mm-hmm. So there was this attempt to unify Greece and mm-hmm. Cyprus. That didn't really have a lot of support amongst Greek Cypriots no. either, though. So they weren't happy by that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Turkish Cypriots. Who at that stage it was more mixed yeah. as to where they lived and things than it later became, and the, the, there was a very strong mm. separate Turkish Turkish Cypriot community. Their response to that was. The army of the Republic of Turkey invaded Cyprus mm. and it all turned very nasty for a while. Yeah. The coup was defeated anyway. Archbishop Makarios came back as president of right. Cyprus, but Cyprus had been divided in two mm. and remains divided in two to this day. Mm. The Republic of Cyprus basically is the southern two-thirds or so of the island and the northern third of the mm. island is known as Northern Cyprus. Mm. It's not recognized by anywhere apart from well oddly enough turkey Mm. if you want to go there you have to fly via turkey yeah it's not a member of the united nations or anything like that but it just basically operated as a semi-independent
1: country right. ever since then. Ever so since would the this century. have actually affected the filming at all? Well, no, it's filmed it's in and around Paphos. Right, yeah. so it's just one of those things that's going on in the background. But it, Yeah,
0: it, it it settled down. There's, there is very much a line between the two republics. You can't just wander across no. everything. No. And, I think I know Nicosia someone who, was, uh, who lost a the
1: house there or something.
0: There are whole deserted villages, towns, mm. the rest of it. One of the biggest resort towns on Cyprus, and I'm not going to remember the name of it, was just to the north of the divided no. Right. line on the, the eastern end of the mm. island, and is now a ghost town. You can observe it from the, the Cypriot side mm. of the border. And Nicosia, the capital, was also cut in, in mm. with, a, with a Berlin-style wall yeah. down the middle mm. of it. Just a less well-known uh, one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I stubbed my toe very badly on the wall when we went to Nicosia. You kicked it. I accidentally <laughs> kicked a very heavy concrete block. I still get pains you, you, in my right big toe from uh, that. You're fighting injustice in your own little way, absolutely. Um, I still suffer from that all these years later uh yeah anyway 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 but it was (laughs) worth it to make your point (laughs) worth it okay so our hero is david collier okay and david collier is played peter peter McHenry. thank you so his brother has been killed in ostensibly an accident in uh, cyprus and he toddles over there to see what's going on Mm -hmm. and he meets up with all sorts of uh, interesting people including the stunningly beautiful uh helene Mm-hmm. who is played by none other than Alexandra Bastedo. Ah. Probably the only other major credit that mm. she had mm-hmm. other than the champions.
1: But I do she's... I do feel we need that tingly music in the background whenever you say Alexandra Bastedo It's just yeah, and voices in the head, but yes, and she is actually part of this group
0: of mysterious characters who keep popping mm. up and then disappearing. And mm-hmm. she somehow seems to get inside his mind, and ah, even nah. when he's dancing with <laughs> another lady, he's thinking about her and this other sort of business. So this is actually a and,
1: sequel to the Champions. This is what you're telling me.
0: <laughs> well, well, in a way, mm. but, but let me tell you who the other two characters are. Okay. Well, we've got Hadelambos, oh, yes. who is played by. Stefan Griff, ah. who, we, who we, we see initially as a waiter, but then he's something else. The undercover. He's, <laughs> well, he's, he's a very mysterious character who appears as all sorts of things. He's clearly not Krasakis in this, he is a okay. different character this time. And the third one we see is Basileos, ah. and, who is a big, booming, loud voiced, bearded. You know where <laughs> I'm heading with this?
1: <laughs> let me think, let me think, let me think. <laughs> Yes. Cyprus, is alive. yes, Cyprus is alive. <laughs> it's Brian Blessed,
0: Excellent. and the three of them. Keep and uh, up Brian and Blessed presumably isn't playing a Liverpoolian. Uh, not in the slightest. No. no. Uh, they're the big mystery yeah. element of this. Now we've also got Paul Maxwell coming again, uh-huh. and he plays a, an antiques dealer called Hellman. Think about okay. the name, Hellman. And we've got. Uh, Does a, he have a three-headed champ? dog? No, but he uh-huh. might just as well have. Another actor who we mentioned when we were talking about political dystopias, Tony Doyle. Tony Doyle, yes. One of the great actors of the 80s and 90s. And he plays a thoroughly horrible character called Martin Priest. Now, there's basically the background of the story is there's some archaeological discoveries have been made, and there's treasures doing the rounds, and there's a beautiful classical necklace there. Mm And basically everybody's trying to get their hands on these the loot. loot, Exactly. Mm. Well, certainly Paul Maxwell's character Hellman and Martin Priest, Tony Doyle, thereafter. To it right uh, they think that david collier might have vital clues to it oh, okay. and who knows what alexander bastido Stefan griff and brian blessed are doing mm. because they're mysterious now as the series goes on well they find the tomb of aphrodite the mythical lost tomb of aphrodite right. and what becomes very clear is that these three mysterious characters well alexander bastido is aphrodite Ah. And they're basically Greek gods. Uh, so this is your reincarnation of the Greek gods. Right. There they are, interfering with the affairs of mortals. Uh. Uh, Paul Maxwell's Hellman, well, I suppose he may or may not be Hades, mm-hmm. but he's a very sort of morally dubious character, an antique right. dealer who employs thugs to go and beating people up. But yeah. on the whole, he's sort of on the side of the good guys, sort right. of. It's quite a complex story because mm. you don't honestly know who's the good guys, who the bad guys. Mm. Tony Dor's character for a while we think he's probably one of the good
1: guys mm. and then he really isn't mm. uh, uh... So we moved into dark places, dark and supernatural places. I suppose. very
0: supernaturally, yeah, mm. and very, very weird and very, very strange, and mm. but absolutely lovely. And but mm. and again, beautiful scenery, beautiful mm. blue skies, blue sea. Yeah, I enjoyed well worth this a lot. Look. Yeah, well worth, well mm. worth a lot. And actually, this one is easier to get hold of than most on DVD. still oh, right. seems enough. to be around and out there. And the thing to say with all of these three, these four, ser- mm. five series, mm-hmm. you don't need to watch them in order. No. You don't need to watch them all. They're they're all entirely self-contained. Uh, self-standing, self-contained. Mm. You don't mm. need to see any of the okay. others to enjoy any of them. So that's the Aphrodite Inheritance. Wow.
1: And we move on to... The Dark Side
0: of the Sun in 1983. The Dark Side
1: of the Sun. Now, that's not the Jerry Anderson film.
0: Uh, yeah, if you look up Dark Side of the Sun on Google or whatever, you'll probably mm-hmm. find the Brad Pitt film. Oh, okay. This is not what we're talking about. It's no. nothing to do with that whatsoever. This just is happens the about line. four
1: years later again, and filmed on
0: roads. yeah we moved to Rhodes 1983 and again it's a story that ties very much to Rhodes because <clears> it involves the Knights Templars ah. that was one of their big strongholds or what well, it was their big stronghold on roads. Was this
1: before all the Knights Templar stuff in the books started to become was this kind the, of the start of all that? It's
0: yeah? after Henry Lincoln's book right. the uh, Holy Blood Holy Grail it's after right. that mm. and that's possibly one of the inspirations for right. it.
1: Again, it's that 80s thing, isn't it? We're now into well, the isn't, 80s and, isn't, and it, there's a lot of that stuff about, isn't there? Well, the
0: Templars thing is very much an undercurrent to this. Mm. Now, you'll recall when we were talking about Aphrodite that mm. the whole thing is set up by what looks like an accident but is then a murder, okay. a bad murder. Well, Word. we have something similar, don't we, here, because ah. we have our old favourite, Patrick Mower. Oh, he's back. Well, yeah, he is, but he's not back for long because he plays Don Tierney, who's a photographer. Okay. And and he's on Rhodes and he's an investigative reporter. Well, no, he's a photographer, but he's a meddler as well. He -hmm. he finds stories and starts photographing them. And he starts investigating the Knights Templars and this character called Raoul Lavalier, who lives in a castle on Rhodes. And then he's killed in an accident. Ah. Right. Is that the last
1: we see of him? No, it oh, well, right. did not,
0: Indeed uh, not, because you can't employ Patrick Moe well, no, and then kill him I'm off saying. in the first <laughs> episode. So, so, I'm, so I'm just thinking
1: of Edge of Darkness and, and Joanne Wally. Just you're, thinking
0: of, you're thinking on exactly the right lines, uh, because okay. that is exactly what happens. <laughs> we then switch back to England, and we see his widow, Anne, ah. which is a name that Michael J. Bird obviously liked, because mm-hmm. it was Anne in The Lotus Eaters as well. Mm-hmm. And the, not ghost the same Anne, no, no. No, 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 no. This particular Anne, played by Emily Richard, who is an actress I'm not familiar with, but she basically becomes the lead of the series. Right. Because she is visited by the ghost of her dead husband in dreams and in visions and waking visions and Mm. all the rest of it.
1: Apparently she was the first choice for Leela. Was she really? According to, oh, isn't, isn't it is Wikipedia, so we can take that with a picture of salt.
0: Wow. Well, she was
1: unavailable, sense. so we got Louise oh, the James. There we go. Oh, well,
0: there we are. And the ghost basically says ah. to her, it wasn't an accident, come and find out what happened to her. Ah, me. okay. So she goes to Rhodes. She meets up with a couple of friends. It's Right. played by Betty Arvaniti we should have mentioned Betty Arvaniti when we spoke about okay. who Pays the ferryman because right. she plays Alan's so an, girlfriend awful lot in of, that.
1: an awful lot of crossover cast with these she, series yeah.
0: she's a Greek actress yeah. and yeah she made a, a good impression on right. uh,
1: them. Based the ferryman,
0: despite some critics being very mean about her Greek accent and saying you can't understand what she's saying, that which is a load to be of rubbish. Common
1: in the critics of the time is basically is yeah. to take the Mickey out of foreign accents. The, yeah. I mean, if you think about yeah. Adolfo Celli in in The Borgias, no, no, he was
0: incomprehensible. <laughs> he was utterly incomprehensible.
1: Maybe it got worse. I know, I've only seen the first two when I've done my rewatch.
0: He, well, I speak Italian. And I, would, I would have preferred <laughs> him just to spoken Italian. Oh, fair enough. Anyway, go. Anyway, so this is Ismini, her friend. Mm -hmm. and David another friend so two friends of her husband Mm -hmm. who she then meets up with Mm -hmm. and uh, Ismini it turns out has got strong telepathic abilities right and she recognizes the same in Anne. and has also ah. got these same abilities so, so we're going they, into psychic uh... we're, we're going we're going psychically ah. now they... he's, he's
1: not sticking to the same stuff every time each one's got no, a slightly no. different oh absolutely
0: mm-hmm. don's ghost keeps turning up going i am the ghost of anthony valentine now turned into patrick Mower. No, not, no, no no no, no <laughs> or, that's or
1: vice versa <laughs>
0: vice versa yeah <laughs> No, there is no Anthony Valentine involvement in this whatsoever. Let's be clear. So, but they point. I and mean, the wig. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they point her towards uh, Raoul Lavalier in his castle there. Okay. And uh, she gets introduced to him, and he starts trying it on with her, and the rest of it, and mm-hmm. come and stay, or we can't get back tonight, and this sort of thing. No, in his castle. There is a painting of a medieval Knights Templar oh. gadget called Thibaut de Montrefort, okay. who was this renegade Templar who murdered his lover and fled to Rhodes and fell out with everybody right. and the Templars and all sorts of okay. things. And this painting on the wall, the paintings on the wall of him, and we later see one of also the lover and yes, who he killed. Right now, here's the thing: is there a resemblance? There is a very, <laughs> very strong resemblance between Lavalier and Thibault, right? Who basically has lived for hundreds of years and is still there, and okay. all the rest of it. Blah, blah blah blah. And the resemblance between agnes and Anne is very striking. And he believes that she is the reincarnation of his long dead lover, who he, in fact, murdered. Ah, the swine. So, and he has also got these very strong telepathic mind control type things. He can control people's minds. He can make people believe they're seeing the ghost of their dead husband mm. and all that sort of thing. And, well, carnage ensues. There we right. are. Yes. So, it's not but, a happy tale is what we're saying. It's well, uh, well, what makes it that little bit happier is some of mm. the guest actors who turn up. Mm. I give you Steve Pleitus again, as mentioned, in the, who plays the Fame. Mm-hmm. All right, the next three. Michael Sheard. Yes, mm. and uh, <laughs> Mr. Bronson. And he is there as uh, Lavalier's German associate. Ah. So, so there we oh. are. So, uh, Cornered the market
1: in, in, uh, in nasty German. Despicable Germans. <laughs> yes, by that Colonel,
0: Colonel von Reitz. Colonel von Reitz. Yes.
1: Again, I'm thinking back to Escape to Athena. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How weird. Wow. Everything's connected. Oh, he's so brilliant, he's... isn't it? Maurice Perry. Oh, right.
0: From Colony in Space and so many other things. Yes. Oh, he's a very fine actor. And then what really brightened my day seeing him was us playing Dr. Philymore. a doctor, Trevor Baxter. Trevor, so Trevor Baxter. Trevor Baxter, Jago and Lightfoot, Professor yeah. Lightfoot from Talons of Wayne, China. Would that be
1: one of his biggest profile roles, do you think, generally?
0: It's only a small role, to be mm. fair. Trevor Baxter tended to play small roles mm. uh, and was brilliant in them. Yeah. If you look at the talents of Wen Chiang, he's, mm. he's not actually in it that very much, mm. but he's brilliant yeah. when he is.
1: Well, there are so but many of, in, there yeah. are so many of those actors, aren't there, who were just yeah. fabulous and, you know, like I say, may have only done a couple of days' work here yeah. and there. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a very, very atmospheric one, this one. Mm. You never know
0: quite what's happening, and mm. Patrick Mower keeping turning up good. Have a look at him, he's
1: doing bad stuff, and that sort of stuff. These are the four series that he wrote that were based around the Mediterranean these are of- the ones that are called the Mediterranean quartet yeah, yeah. would you say you've got a favorite out of interest
0: probably the first series of Lotus Eaters right
1: no I mean i say if you had to pick if you know yeah. you, if we were if Desert it, Island had Disking had this you know I think the one that works
0: the least well is actually the Dark Side of the Sun right but only because it's, I don't know, it's it's probably, I'm about to say it's the most far-fetched, then I'm mm. remembering that the Aphrodite Inheritance has three Greek gods in it. <laughs> so I enjoy you, four of them. But you. the first series in particular of, mm. uh, of Lotus Eaters. Mm. I th- but if you were probably, recommending,
1: if you were pointing somebody at it, you
0: say, no, yeah, watch
1: the wall. But... I would, I
0: would. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know that I'd go that far for the fifth series right. which I think I think we should mention because yes. it does fit in with mm. them very much
1: so I just wondered briefly was... though whether whether mm. the um, you know you felt there was a sort of linking thread through them which binds them all together in any way apart from the location <laughs> or you, you don't need to see them all but you get a more satisfying sense possibly of the writer as much as anything I, by I, watching all. The,
0: the, well, the writer's developing interests mm. and developing mm. craft, and I suppose, yeah. I mean, he was a very good writer, but he said himself, he was there to entertain people. He wasn't there to try and give a message. No. So there's no subtext. But if you like
1: Supernatural, watch this one. If you like yeah. Thriller, well, that's watch right. that Su- Su- one. Yeah.
0: Supernatural, then you watch the third or fourth one. You mm. watch either Aphrodite or Dark Side, mm. depending on how yeah. dark you want it to be yeah. and whether you like Greek gods or not. And if you like it's- Greek
1: tragedy, go for the second one. And if you Aphrodite. like a Thriller, go for Lotus Eater. Yeah.
0: No, yeah. I think so. Oh, and he just has that feel of the anthology show
1: as yeah. well. But also but, to be uh, good in three or four yeah. different genres, certainly, and, yeah. and to actually write a cracking serial in all four is quite an achievement. really.
0: Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, he was a very
1: fine writer. Shall, shall we move on to, is it Maelstrom? Maelstrom.
0: Oh, okay, so this is just two years later in 1985. Hmm.
1: It's just his last major serial that he works on.
0: Yeah, for the BBC. He moved, really, his efforts to ITV. I In mean, mm. 1983, he wrote a series called The Outsider for his mate, okay. YTV, Yorkshire Television, which was successful, mm-hmm. uh, which was set in Yorkshire. Aye. And it was someone who unexpectedly inherits, to be fair, I've not seen it, mm. uh, and I've read a little bit about it. it I can't find it on DVD anywhere no. or on YouTube or anything, so I've not been able to see that. But somebody who moves to Yorkshire having unexpectedly inherited something. Then he contributed to one or two other things. Oh, yes, now that's an interesting one. He contributed an episode of Hammer House of Mystery and Imagination, which in America was called Fox Mystery Theatre, by the way. An episode called In Possession, which was an adaptation of an out-of-the-unknown script, because we said he did two out-of-the-unknowns Well. This then is one of them was then right. adapted okay. for Hammer House so it's the same script it, mm. basically but with some adaptations and then he did a series called The Winning Streak also for Yorkshire Television mm-hmm. which he created And but he didn't write but he mm. created and that was set against rally car driving which is a bit of a departure okay. isn't it? Uh, very eclectic writer really right. and he finished up with two TV movies okay. one called West of Paradise which was mm-hmm. set on the Seychelles he could pick a location mm. which had Art Malik. In it, okay, and one which was an adaptation of a book called Out of the Shadows, Mm -hmm. which was he was back to the Mediterranean for that, and that was 1986. And that was pretty much the last of it, that was the last one he did. And yeah, Maelstrom, that we'll come and talk about in a second. Mm. I've read that I think it was the last episode of Maelstrom was shown on the same night as the first episode of EastEnders was shown. Wow. And it was sort of indicative of how tastes were changing in television. Yes. The, the sort of gritty, frankly horrible people in your living room of a, an evening mm. uh, was becoming David rigueur. and mm. nice Greek islands and sunshine and interesting stories was becoming Lush people. <laughs> yeah, was becoming less fashionable. So mm. he was on the way out, mm. and that was pretty much the end of his TV career. He lived for another fifteen years, died in mm. two thousand and one at his home in Cambridgeshire. Mm -hmm. but yeah a bit of an anticlimactic end to his life really Mm. people are allowed to retire (laughs) well yeah I I don't think he chose to particularly though Mm. I think it just sort of happened to him Fair enough. Maelstrom, I want to talk about the least because it's the most disappointing of all of them. It's his last BBC series, and it really is a rehashing of old ideas. It's set in Norway, this one. Okay. It starts off with, well, I told you is a YTV series, somebody mm. in, unexpectedly inheriting something. Right. Well, we start off with the same thing again. So a woman called Catherine Durrell okay. unexpectedly inherits a property in Norway from a millionaire who she never knew. As you do. As you do, and then we have themes of mysterious parentage right. and that sort of thing that we had in Ferryman again come up. She goes to take possession of this beautiful house on the fiords mm. and he 's caught up in a mystery concerning a benefactor 's family and right. possibly supernatural things going on, a bit like in his later series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's someone trying to kill her, like in Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. Someone trying to kill someone okay. in Ferryman. So there's, it's sort of the same themes it, and ideas. This is coming up Scandi there. drama sort of 20 years early, isn't it? Well, or it, isn't I suppose, it? no. Because it, it has the same sort of feel as his other hmm. series. Right. But with less sunshine. Ah, are you going to change something? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Norwegian setting is absolutely lovely. I mean, I love mm. Norway. And the Norwegian mm-hmm. setting is, is beautiful. It suffers horribly from casting. This English woman, Catherine Durrell, mm. is played by an actress called Tussa Silberg, okay. who is not Norwegian. No. it's Swedish. Ah. No problem with that. Mm. But she just gives a really flat performance. Mm. And it becomes quite difficult to get engage on board with that. It, yeah, yeah mm. to engage mm. with it, exactly. Mm. Some of the other Casting is mm. nice. Mm. We've got a veteran actress, Anne Todd, oh, okay. in the role of Astrid Linderman, mm-hmm. who may or may not be behind all the nastiness going on. Mm-hmm. Trevor Baxter. Trevor Baxter, Baxter returns. Dr. Dr. Albritsen. Uh, oh, again, it's a small part, but seeing Trevor Baxter in anything brightens my day. Mm-hmm. And then three science fiction stalwarts. Mm-hmm. John Aveneri. John Aveneri. Yes. He's, he's, he's there. And the last two. We've got Paul Darrow. Darrow and Peter Tuddenham. <laughs> wow. The it, voice of uh, aura Is he it behind it's, a wall? Uh, no, he's on screen. Oh, wow. You get to see oh, Peter oh, It's not great, but it's yeah. watchable. and A six-part it, thriller series. Yeah. Luckily, of its yeah. time, but. Yeah, 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 1985. I don't have a big problem with it. I mm-hmm. enjoyed it enough, but it comes as a bit of a disappointment after mm-hmm. the four previous series. Yeah. That's, that's again,
1: via uh, Lorimer again, of course, as well, isn't it? Via yeah.
0: involved very much yeah. in, in this series. So he
1: does have his favourites. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm. well, absolutely. A, and oh. David Maloney directed the whole of yeah. this as well oh, there we go you see. so, yeah. so it does
1: have a lot of connections with Blake so it, I'm just int- intrigued I'm not the kind of person I don't necessarily feel the need to see everything that an actor does if you see what I mean hmm. so if I like an actor in one thing I don't necessarily well I mean if you are a fan of Paul Darrow or if you are a fan of Trevor Baxter or John Pre- it is available it, no is, is this a show yeah, you yeah. point people out and say yeah yeah, you'll well, enjoy none, it. Of
0: the, none of them have Particularly large parts, as it mm, were, mm. Uh, in this. They turn up and look. But it's interesting uh, to see them. It yes. is interesting to see them, of course it is. And if John you're Abinari. A and, uh, yeah, Trevor Baxter and John mm. Abinari always brighten anything up, don't mm. they?
1: So yeah. I think basically, um, Michael J. Bird one of the good eggs would you say well in
0: terms of his writing career certainly mm-hmm. one of the leading tv writers of the last 60 years really i'm mean, starting with danger man going right the way through to his tv movies i, I discovered that his final tv movie is available on dvd i've ordered it yesterday so it
1: <laughs> so we'll cost you a
0: fortune again to <laughs> pay less than a fiver for it, oh, as well, it happens. so uh, that's, that's not a problem so I look forward to that because, again, so, that's back in the Mediterranean. And
1: So if you see his name you know, on the credits, he's, he's definitely worth looking out for.
0: Well, I would warn against his out of the unknown episode, the one with the nasty rapey ghost. Yes.
1: Uh, okay, fair enough.
0: apart from that... (laughs) Apart from that, I would say four smashing series and another one, which I'd recommend to anyone. Now, what we didn't say, and which perhaps does need Mm -hmm. to be said, is that the whole of all this conversation has been pretty much pointless because people are going to find it quite difficult to find any of these series. Lotus Eaters you'll find on YouTube. You'll have Mm -hmm. no problem finding Lotus Eaters. And Ferryman will be there as well. Mm -hmm. Aphrodite is available on DVD. Maelstrom is available on DVD. Dark Side of the Sun doesn't seem to be anywhere anymore very difficult to find the dvd doesn't seem to be on any of the video sharing sites well there's but, a quest um, for people there's lotus eaters else. turns up in charity shops from time to time but okay. the thing is with lotus eaters if you see series two grab it right. because series one is very easy to find on dvd mm-hmm. series two much less so but is okay. on youtube
1: okay right thanks for that i will speak to you again soon you Cheers take Martin. thanks a lot for take that care. bye <laughs> Many thanks to Steve Hatcher for suggesting talking about Michael J Bird today. Steve also reminds me that we ought to point you towards the tribute website mjbird.org.uk, which was and is a very useful resource for all things Michael J Bird related. And with that we're off. Thanks as ever to everyone here at Radio International and naturally to all of you for listening wherever you are. Until next time, I have been Martin and this has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now and take care.